Warning! This episode contains foul language, mention of sexual abuse, racism, and discussions of demonic possession. are listening to Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange, unusual, paranormal, supernatural, creepy, sticky, gross, scary, and everything in between. Each week we sit down with a guest or just each other and we talk about something weird. And this week we are continuing on with our look inside horror movies. How did different genres change the world? What were some of the game-changing breakthroughs? How did society react? How far is too far? Is too much gore a thing? And the list goes on. So get your Jiffy Pop started and don't answer the call from the unknown number. So we're about to press play on all things horror. My name is Lauren, and this is my co-host, Ashley. Hi, weirdos. Hello, welcome back to Horror Movies, y'all. The call is coming from inside the apartment, because I don't have a house. (laughs) I know, we have to say apartment, how lame. Yeah. I don't have a house. I don't think a call could come from inside this apartment without me knowing about it. Also, that's not a thing anymore. Yeah, also that doesn't (laughs) exist with cell phones, but the person would be sitting right next to me, so it wouldn't be that spooky. That is one thing that is interesting about horror movies these days is that you kind of have to come up with creative reasons as to why people don't have a cell phone. Right. Or why they, um, you know, don't have a GPS in their car. Yeah, for sure. For me, I don't give a shit. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me. You don't have to explain it. I'm in your world. Right. Take me on a ride. You know, like it follows. Yeah, I'll believe whatever you tell me. Yes, you have no idea what time they're in because everything from the outfits to like not a great use of technology to the way the houses look. Yeah, it's so smart in that way, though. Yeah, that was what was so cool about that movie is not only that, but like in one scene, there'll be like an old TV with knobs on it and it's like a black and white movie. But in the same scene... A girl is reading on her e-reader that's like doesn't even look like the e-readers ha- we have now. They're like future e-readers. Totally. So okay, well, what what era where is am this? I? <laughs> what is and then happening? there's also in the same scene, it'll go from really late fall to like sweltering hot summer day in the same right. moment in the same day. So mm-hmm. it it really throws you off. You don't know where you are, what time it is, and that's fine. I don't care. You don't have to give. You don't even have to give me a line to explain it away. You don't have cell phones. Okay, yep. guess this is the nineties. Yeah. You don't have to tell me. I'm just gonna buy in and I'm gonna enjoy it because I want to be a part of your story. Just take me along on the journey. I'm here, baby. Yeah, I have a question. Horror movie question. Mm-hmm. Two, technically. First, what is the first horror movie you remember seeing? Um. Okay. I don't think this counts because it's more of a thriller, but I remember crying watching the first Jurassic Park. Does that not count, though? Because that's like adventure. Um, It's more sci-fi, I think, than horror. But I mean, it scared you. So 
It, yeah, that the reason I say that is because I'm sure I saw something earlier, but that's like the first memory I have is my parents are watching it and I came and sat on the stairs that led down to our basement and I just sat on the middle stair and watched and they didn't even know I was back there. So I thought I was like getting away with something. <laughs> but then I started bawling at the first scene <laughs> in that movie where the worker gets like ripped around the wall and gets eaten by the dinosaur. So yeah. they turned around and were like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, as yeah, I'm go bawling my eyes out. So that's one of my first memories. And also, um, I remember my mom watching Nosferatu, like one of the, I mean, there's a couple versions of it, but I imagine it was like the original because it was in black and white. And that one didn't scare me as much, but I was very intrigued by this bald, creepy vampire. I don't, I honestly, I don't remember the first one because... You were allowed to watch scary movies, though, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, was. it was taboo in my house, so I had to sneak, sneak around. I was, like, allowed and also enabled. I had <laughs> two separate aunts who would tape things on VHS and send For them to me. For you, specifically. Yeah, I mean, I, I sneakily watched them at friends' houses, but in our house, it was, like, no way. I I want to say the one, at least the one that like had an impact, like maybe not the first one I saw, but the one that I remember is probably Nightmare on Elm Street. Ah, yes. I remember actually in seventh grade th that year, I think I watched Nightmare on Elm Street probably like seven times that year. Wow. Because I had it on VHS um, somehow. I don't know. Probably my parents. <laughs> like who knows? I don't know why I had it, but I watched it over and over and and every one of my friends it was like you have to see this movie you will not believe Let what you're about show to you see this movie <laughs> and every single one was like that's the scariest shit i've ever seen in my entire life and i'm like yeah. correct correct mm -hmm. it's terrifying um i think I that saw was that when i was way probably, too young probably the first which is a great first like that's a good one because totally, it's such a yeah. good movie what what more could you ask for what is the first horror movie you remember seeing in theaters Ugh, this, like, you're probably gonna judge me and say I'm a late bloomer because you were Miss Horror so early, but I think the first horror movie I was allowed to see I'm in theaters was so the, hard if it we was the, the same. ring. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> what, why? What's yours? No, I was just gonna say I'm gonna laugh if we have the same one. You can continue. Oh, yeah. After I'm like, you're gonna judge me. But I mean, that was early 2000s, but it still feels yeah. late for how much I like tried to sneakily see scary movies. But the ring came out, and my mom was like, as long as you go, with your sister you can see it so i saw it with julia and i think her friend Anne, and it was horrifying and i had to sleep with the light on for two weeks i actually was wrong about mine because i just had to look up the years because i was like it's one of these i'm pretty sure it's this one what'd you see well what i was going to say is what lies beneath oh gosh i didn't see that till it was on video but it's so good that came out in 2000 i saw that in theaters twice <laughs> yes i was it's brave so enough to go back but i was wrong uh the first horror movie that i for sure remember seeing in theaters was called the rage carrie 2 it was the sequel to carrie i oh, saw it in theaters my god <laughs> it was fucking awesome i loved it i love that that was the movie you saw in theaters that's yeah, awesome that's the first one i remember there might have been one before that but i distinctly remember watching the rage carry too because there's one scene where a guy gets his dick shot off and i was 
Let's see. It was I mean, 1999. Yeah. So I was like 11, and I was like, "What happened? What was that? What's, What's my going name? on? Where am I? What's a dick? Yeah, I like that didn't know. Is, yeah, that's a memory you can't really get away from. Nope, that's in that's in there forever. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Oh, reminder: oh. pumpkin carving contest. We're having Yay. one. Because now it's week two in October. Yeah, it's week two. Technically, we're still in September, guys. You know we do two in a night. So, (laughs) (laughs) pumpkin, I don't even know how it's going. Has anyone submitted anything yet? We won't know because we have to try and predict the future. So, maybe we can say I hope. Thank you. Someone, thank you for (laughs) um, participating in our pumpkin carving contest. And if not, we hope that you participate. In our pumpkin carving contest, rules are simple. Send us a picture of you with your pumpkin. It can be carved, decorated, painted, whatever you want. Uh, Send us a picture of you with your pumpkin by November 1st. That's going to be the cutoff. And then we'll pick our favorites sometime after our Halloween hangover. And the winner, (laughs) (laughs) the winners, uh, I think we're going to pick a few. You could win some keyboard buttons. You could potentially win a piece of original art painting by me because I got a new printer. So I'm ready to paint. Or the grand prize, one or more of you may win the chance to Zoom with me and Lauren. us. Party Zoom. Yeah. I hope that doesn't turn people away from submitting. <laughs> I just okay. had that insecurity flare up where they're like, ew, I don't um, want to Zoom I with them. I actually don't want to do that. Here's the thing. Okay, how about this? If you do not want to Zoom with us, maybe you are, um, you feel that you're socially awkward, which if that's, I'm socially awkward, like it's fine. Um, you hate us. I'm confused as to what you're doing here, but maybe that's the case. If you do not want to Zoom with us, you can turn us down. It will not hurt our feelings. Yeah. You can literally send us the picture and say, I don't want to compete, but here's my pumpkin. I just want you to see my pumpkin, but never contact me again. Please, please do not call me on Zoom. (laughs) That's fair. That's actually a fair thing that is a frightening thought that I hadn't thought of, but now I'll lose sleep over. I know. I'm so sorry. I'm just an insecure person by nature, and it came right out like word vomit. But (laughs) What if people don't like us? (laughs) (laughs) Everybody hates us. So today is week two of October and week two of horror movies. The movies. The pictures. If you guys heard last week's episode, basically we are each taking a genre of horror and we're kind of discussing the history of that genre, how the genre was shaped by society at the time, how it reflected society at the time, and also what was society's reaction to Mm -hmm. these movies because sometimes they were severe. Sometimes people were pissed. Sometimes people didn't like them. (laughs) It happens. Let's jump in. I'm going to start today, and my genre that I'm going to be talking about is one of my faves. It's one of my Yay. favorites. Uh, today, I'm talking about monster movies. Monsties! I'm so excited. There are so many different monsters. Oh my gosh, yes. Because, and it really is like, I think you were talking last week, you were like, it's a subgenre of a subgenre of a genre. <laughs> right. Monsters is like the king of that. Seriously, because you've got classic monsters like vampires and werewolves. 
You've got monsters in nature. You've got like Jaws and Cujo. You have monsters that we created like Godzilla and Frankenstein. You have monsters from another world like The Thing and Cloverfield. And just like zombies, though, there's a lot of social commentary and even more so um, allegories and what's the word I'm looking for? It starts with an M. Metaphor? Metaphor. Ooh, that's a big one. (laughs) metaphor metaphor allegories and metaphors that go into uh monster movies since the beginning of time so um this time this week i'm not going in chronological order i'm actually going to split them up sort of in that way it's just a little bit easier because monster movies have been a thing i mean that was some of the first horror movies ever made were monster movies so Mm -hmm. they've been around for so long and they don't really like they do evolve, but they, they're kind of all over the place. Again, probably because there's subgenres of genres of subgenres. Right. So <laughs> not going in chronological order today. I'm actually gonna start with the ultimate monster, in my opinion, the monster that haunted my childhood. And is kind of a perfect example of what I'm talking about today, and, and that would be Stephen King's It. Oh gosh. It. Oh, I love it. All parts of it. I don't know a single person who wasn't terrorized by it. Yeah. Whether they read it or saw the movie or just knew of the movie. Mm -hmm. Even Um, just knowing that Pennywise the clown existed, like haunted people's nightmares. But that little like made for TV movie, it has a lot of problems, but it's still creepy. Like it still can haunt your dreams for a very long time truly thank you tim curry for bringing pennywise to love you i think we've said this on the show before um i'm sure most of you have seen or or read it but it is actually a creature and Mm -hmm. it's a, a creature who's lived on earth since the beginning of time it's part of the balance of the universe essentially and it presents itself as your absolute worst fear And generally, because werewolves and giant thunderbirds probably bring a little unwanted attention, (laughs) it presents itself as a clown named Pennywise. So it, and this is very, very, very much so true in the books, a little bit less in the films, but not much. I mean, they still, they didn't hit it as hard as the book did, but they definitely, you know, um, reference it. But it is a manifestation of the horrors of society. And it feeds off the horrors of society and also just so happens to eat children. <laughs> um, <laughs> really fun. Really fun stuff. It <laughs> deals with some serious shit, though. Like, obviously, you've got a monster to be scared of. But yeah. it also deals with racism, misogyny, anti-Semitism, child abuse, child sexual abuse, Munchausen by proxy. Yeah, oh my gosh, there's so many themes. Yeah, and those things are just as terrifying and even more real than the child-eating clown. Yep. And what do the adults do in it? Nothing. Fucking nothing. They look they the look other the way. They look the other way. Oh, jinx. <laughs> jinx, pinch poke. <laughs> they, they know that Bev is being sexually abused by her father, and they look away. And they know that Mike is being terrorized for being black. They know that Eddie does not need the inhaler or the pills that his mom gets prescribed for him. And they look away. And this Mm -hmm. is also why they're able to justify the absurd amount of missing children um, and murdered children and the violence in their town. And of course, in the story, it's the influence that it has over the town of Derry. But it's still a mirror to our own society. Yeah, absolutely. 
politeness and the need to be comfortable, you know, not be in an uncomfortable situation or a confrontational situation. Yeah, don't confront anybody. Mm-hmm. Stay kind. Stay nice. Be a doormat. All of that. Yeah, it causes a lot of people to look the other way, um, even when their gut is saying something is wrong. And even you could take it one step f- further, especially for women, that uncomfortable feeling we push aside in order to not be uh, a bitch or, you know yeah. what I mean, in order to not be rude, in order right. to be respectful, we can get the total fucking creeps and we're still like, ha, 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 yeah, uh, can I can I help you with some? You know what I mean? And that's how totally. fucking some of us get murdered. Yeah, a lot of women, I mean, including myself, have a really hard time, like, when a guy is being too forward or creepy, just saying, no, I'm not interested, no, go away, like, we engage and we talk to to them, because we feel like we have to be polite and nice, or they're gonna say, why are you such a bitch, why are you a slut, like, we know the names that we can be called, so we try and avoid it, and it's bullshit. Yeah. Or, you know, walking down a street by yourself and being confronted with that situation with a man talking to you, and it's like, well... I have two options. I can amuse him for as long as it takes for me to get to safety. Right. And that's a risk because you could get attacked. Or I can say, like, please don't fucking come near me. Don't talk to me. I'm not interested in speaking with you. Please stay away. Which could result in him going like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then leaving or you getting attacked. So it's a very, it's a hard line to walk. I don't know um, what's going to happen. Yeah. But it is. It's sort of the same thing, like where it's like, ah, it's I would rather be uncomfortable than make you uncomfortable. But it's like, fuck that. (laughs) I know. I wish that wasn't the mindset. That's so stupid. I wish I was a little bit more of a bitch. I I want to be I want to be a badass, but I'm not. Now, you could say that it is a bad guy. But with real life and with monster movies, especially what is a bad guy? Because, like, Mm -hmm. technically, it is a creature who's doing what he has to to survive. Could he be nicer about it? Sure. (laughs) He definitely (laughs) could be a bit nicer. Could he not be so creepy? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Could he not be so terrifying all the damn time? Yes, please. But that's like, it's like telling a lion that he's a bad guy for eating a gazelle. Like, he's not bad. You're right. If he doesn't eat the gazelle, he's dead. So that's just nature. That's life. And this is kind of seen across the board for a lot of monster movies. Uh, The Cloverfield monster, for example, is not bad. He doesn't even know where he is. He's more confused than you are. He's not sentient. He doesn't know where he's at or how he got here. King Kong. King Kong is not bad. You took him out of his natural habitat. You chained him. You abused him. And you eventually killed him just for existing. It's not his fault that he's dangerous. Yeah, for sure immediately reminded me of tyke the elephant from our circus episodes oh tyke she wasn't bad she didn't know that she was hurting people or that she was just causing destruction she was was being an elephant she didn't know any different she's just a big girl like she didn't know she's a big gal and there are endless examples of a what is known as a sympathetic monster those aren't quite sympathetic monsters they are to me because i can actually like take a step outside but yeah Usually, in those cases, with a sympathetic monster, the monster in the movie, this is what I talked about with zombies as well, isn't really the monster. Like, it's not the creature. Yeah. Frankenstein, for example. Frankenstein, Frankenstein's monster, I apologize. Frankenstein's monster basically has the mind of a child. 
and Mm -hmm. he gets rejected by his creator he gets out he kills out of necessity and in in the instance of the little girl just not understanding he didn't know that he was going to kill her when he threw her in the water like he didn't yeah understand because he doesn't have the capacity to understand right his brain doesn't work that way yeah i mean he's literally a child he doesn't know mm-hmm. it's like in uh what's eating gilbert grape where leonardo oh, dicaprio yes. accidentally kills the grasshopper he doesn't know yeah. and that then he's, he's gonna so crush upset him. that it happened because he had no idea that was going to be the result yeah and, you know, what happens to Frankenstein's monster? He's burned to death by a mob who, in turn, doesn't understand him. Like, they don't mm-hmm. know that he's a child, has the mind of a child. And probably, right. honestly, if they did, they wouldn't give a shit because they're so enraged. Yeah. Yep. The Shape of Water had a very sympathetic monster. And oh, yeah. There was a love story. One of the clearest examples of the monster not being the monster because the people experimenting on him are the monsters. Yeah. Michael Shannon's character. Michael Shannon is so good at being evil. Like, gosh, how does he have that face? Bastard. (laughs) He's so damn mean. Guillermo del Toro actually is really great with monsters. Um, You know, you've got Shape of Water, you have Pan's Labyrinth, you have the Hellboy movies. He's not just great at like creating them and like doing the makeup, but he's great at telling the stories. Like in the Hellboy movies, for example, the monsters, there are different like races of monster. That mm-hmm. all have different sort of histories to them and right. things that piss them off. Like, it's very creative. But also, you know, even in Pan's Labyrinth, for example, the world he's created is full of monsters. But mm-hmm. none of them are really evil. Like, they're just existing in their natural habitat. Yeah. And that includes There's the Pale Man. The Pale Man, who's, like, terrifying. The guy who, like, puts the eyeballs in his hands. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> exactly he definitely haunted my mind even though he's not evil it's just it was his appearance that really stuck with me it was his appearance and like yes he was trying to uh eat the girl but yeah not maliciously he's like a venus flytrap right you know what i mean like Like, this is what i eat this is is how i survive i eat children yep not a bad guy just you know (laughs) he was misunderstood (laughs) misunderstood monster um but yeah same thing in that movie the movie itself is about escapism sort of like disassociating from the horrors of the spanish civil war and and the real villain in that movie even is the stepfather the army officer Mm -hmm. the real monsters in guillermo's movies are almost across the board the narcissistic, power-hungry, violent men. Yep. Not the creatures that just happen to be scary-looking. Right. They frighten us with their appearance, but they're not actually inherently evil and, you know, trying to do bad things. Like, they don't have malicious intent. Yeah. There's two other categories I wanted to cover, the first being nature. And the message here um, in, in monster movies that involve nature is usually just that we can't control nature. We can try, but eventually she's going to get the better of us or we're going to piss her off. (laughs) Sounds about right. But yeah, we just, it's, it's a, something that we can't control. We can have the illusion of control. That's something that they talk about in Jurassic Park where it's like you've created the illusion of control, but you do not actually have control because what happens? A storm comes, knocks out the power. Uh Uh-oh. Mama (laughs) T-Rex. Yeah. So like the birds. If birds decided they've had enough and it's time to kill all people, I don't know if we're getting out of that one. 
I don't think so. I think we all just die. Like, it'd be different if it was like crabs are tired of it. It's like, well, I live closer to crabs than most people, and I still don't think I live close enough to crabs to be worried. Yeah, I think I'd still be able to get away and handle that problem in some way. But you're absolutely right that, like, if the birds actually did come for us, there's not much you can do. Like, we're all probably going to get pecked to death. Yeah, I don't think that there would be much we could do to stop it. We're going to shoot every bird. I mean, I guess, but... You could try, but they come in those swarms. There's just <laughs> so many of them. Like swarms. One of them is bound to How get a beak in your eyeball. How are you going to shoot a hummingbird? Oh, yeah, they're so little and they're so damn quick. Those little you wings flap see them. Oh, yeah, we're definitely going to get killed by the birds. Yes, yeah, so I don't know if we're going to make it out of that. Um, Cujo is another one. Cujo is a dog Oof, infected with that rabies. That scared me so bad when I was younger. Seriously. That, that movie rough. really, really, really scared me. It's because there wasn't CGI. Like, right? that was a dog. It was a yeah. dog that they put a lot of makeup <laughs> and dog. fake blood on to make it look scary, but it, the dog was doing everything. A dog nonetheless, yeah. And also, um, you know, when you see it as a kid, it's a killer dog movie. Right. But when you watch it as an adult, it's so much scarier because the scary parts of that movie are the the claustrophobia, the dehydration the suffocating the heat exhaustion going on inside of the car like watching your child seize and die and there being nothing you can do about it yeah because if you go outside like either way you die you're gonna go outside and get killed by the dog or you're gonna die of heat stroke in the car oh so horrible and uh the ultimate nature monster movie is obviously jaws which same deal jaws ain't bad he's just doing a shark shark thing (laughs) <laughs> being a shark with sharp teeth That's and actually the guy who wrote jaws says that he regrets it more than anything he's ever done what really well after jaws came out apparently the death of sharks especially great white sharks went up so much people were just killing them oh because they were so scared yeah and just like this oh, automatic sad. fear and hatred of sharks after that movie which, here's the thing, dude. If it wasn't Jaws, there's going to be another shark movie. Like, you're fine. It's not your fault. But Yeah, I'm also like, Jaws is one of, like, the best movies out there. Like, not even just like, oh, it's a scary movie. Like, it's just such a well-done, beautiful movie. Beautiful. So it makes me sad that he feels that way. The brilliant thing about Jaws, too, as a monster movie, is that if everything had worked the way that they wanted it to, it probably wouldn't have been successful. Because we would have seen a lot more of the shark, and it probably Mm -hmm. wouldn't have looked good. Uh, What we see is perfect. We see just enough to know how big this thing is, how strong this thing is, and everything else, especially when they're on the boat at the end, and you can see where the shark is based on the barrels that come up. But we don't get to see beneath the water, which leaves it so scary. Yeah. It's so suspenseful. I love it. It was so so smart. I love when movie, I mean, like, Jaws especially nailed it, but, like, there are a lot of horror movies that do that so well, where it's like, you have to leave things a little bit of a mystery. You can't show all your cards too quick. You can't show a monster too fast. Like, we love the unknown. We love the mystery. That's what keeps us excited. It's hard, too, at adapting. Like, that's why Stephen King's It hasn't really had a really great adaptation. Yeah. Because reading about what's happening is fucking terrifying because you have to you you get to make it up in your head 
You have to imagine what the terrors look like. But showing you this nightmare, you know, showing you Mm -hmm. what you can, whether it's the TV miniseries had a problem because there wasn't CGI and it was it was a little bit cheesy. And the new ones had a big problem because it was too much. It was all fucking CGI. Right. Like, I think the leper could have looked so cool if they had used practical effects, but it felt like he was just a computer that, like, a kid made. A kid made this creature on his paint app. And I was like, (laughs) what is going on? No, that's not fair to say. Like, as he looked okay, but you know what I mean. The leper is so, so, so much scarier in the novel because it is a diseased man who mm-hmm. is trying to sexually abuse Eddie, basically. Yeah. He's trying I mean, to so lure him darker. in. Yeah, and basically saying, like, you know, suck my dick and all this, like, crazy shit, which is terrifying. Right. And I understand why you don't want to put that in a movie that, you know, yeah. you don't want it to have an X rating or whatever. But at the yeah. same time, it's like, it's just not as scary. Just some, like, gross guy being like, Bleh! it's like, <laughs> all right, I mean, just go the other way. Like, <laughs> it's not existentially yeah, walk scary. walk away. That, but that's the thing is like you can't even be mad at the filmmakers for how it turned out because it's like they sort of had an impossible task where it's yeah. like the book will just always be scarier because it was able to go darker. It was mm-hmm. able to be, you know, in this place that just isn't allowed in the movies. Like it, like you said, it would have to be NC-17 or whatever the higher ratings are. Like it wouldn't – it just wouldn't fly. And so they had to – they had to dumb some things down, and they just didn't turn out quite right. This is also funny. Not the intent of the movie, obviously, but you can definitely draw a COVID allegory with Jaws. Wait, really? Yeah, because it's like, okay, people, the beach is unsafe. People are dying. Okay, we're closing the beach. And then all these people saying, it's summer. You're not going to keep me away from the beach Fuck you. You can't tell me and my family that we can't enjoy the beach. Oh, my God. You're right. And then the danger is only important when it's your kid getting eaten alive by the shark. Like, only then are they like, how dare you not protect us? Why weren't we warned? Like, bitch, right. you, were, you had the information. What you I chose you. to do with it is your fault. Oh, my gosh. You're so right. I never thought of it that way. It's literally the mask argument, but it's about the beach. Yeah. How dare it's summer. Okay. Well, it's fucking, that's the worst season anyway. Like, you'll be fine. (laughs) It's too hot. (laughs) It's too hot. Go inside. Enjoy the air conditioning. Turn the AC on. Eat a popsicle. (laughs) So, um, uh, also in nature, um, there's also spitting in the face of nature. I don't know how many people know this, but Godzilla or Gojira represents the atomic bomb. So in 1945, the United States detonated two nuclear weapons over Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and these two bombs killed about 226,000 people in the initial blast and mostly civilians. So mostly just day-to-day people like you and me. Just trying to live. It was horrific. Was it more horrific than the shit the Japanese army had been doing the previous 10 years? I don't know. But that's Mm -hmm. not the point I'm trying to make. (laughs) It was fucking scary. It was horrible. And as we know now, radiation effects can be just as deadly as the bomb itself. At the time, 
the United States strictly prohibited any news coverage that dealt with the aftermath of the bombings. We could not let Americans see what we actually did to these people. Still, that sounds like (laughs) still everything that's happening. Yeah. But, you know, the radiation sickness, cancer, birth defects, brain damage, you name it. Like, these people were, were suffering. Horrible effects. But the Japanese people could see it, what was going on. And the story that inspired Gojira took place in 1954, actually. So this was almost 10 years later when a group of 23 Japanese men were sailing to the Marshall Islands. And they were tuna fishing. Several hundred miles west of where they were was a place called Bikini Atoll. It was an island famous for America's testing of nuclear weapons, including a weapon called the Castle Bravo, which is to this day the most powerful nuclear device ever detonated. Well, testing was scheduled for that day, the same day that the men were arriving at the Marshall Islands. And the U.S. government had already declared in advance a danger zone that was about 57,000 miles around, but they were actually wrong about how powerful this bomb was. It turned out it was twice as powerful as the original prediction. And within less than an hour of the testing of the bomb, the fishermen were covered in the ashes of radioactive fallout. And they immediately returned to uh, Yaisu, but by then it was too late. And the effects of that radiation on them were so horrific and they didn't really know that that could happen from so far away. Like, they were still trying to figure out, like, the effects that these bombs had that were dropped directly on them. Mm-hmm. So eight months after that event, we had Gojira. And it was not meant to be a fantasy. It was a straight horror movie. Um, Gojira was a symbol of thermonuclear weapons, but also a victim of nuclear weapons. Like, everything from his atomic heat beam to his skin was designed after the bomb or what things would look like after it had been destroyed by the bomb. Like the way he was destroying the town or Yeah, like exactly. It was how but also it would, like his Gojira's skin, the scales on his skin were designed to look sort of like what was left of people. Oh wow. If they were still there. So of course then it got to America. We called it Godzilla King of the Monsters, and it was like dinosaur, kind of. Right. It's like, look at this giant dinosaur destroying the town. Yeah. This is fine. We didn't understand the the fears that they had. It was still scary. It was still a giant monster destroying a city, but yeah. like we didn't understand. But we had no idea. We didn't what know was what it was on. representing. That is wild. It's just like we were blind to all of it. So it's like, ooh, dinosaur. Know. Like, didn't know the deeper meaning. It's crazy. You can also put the mist in this category. Um, the military yeah. was messing around with some shit they shouldn't have been messing with. And then, what do you know? A hole in space and time. Another dimension full of monsters, and they're just pouring out. Yeah, that's a scary month. Like, that's almost one of the scariest of them all. It's too mysterious. That movie also had one of the best the real monsters or the people situations because, holy shit, Mrs. Carmody is oh evil. Oh, my gosh pure evil evil not a good bone yeah that is very true but in the final category of monsters is the monster inside which are usually very sympathetic characters as well they're victims of their own demons so dr jekyll and mr hyde is all about having a part of you that you hide or suppress 
that maybe you're even terrified of someone you care about seeing. Werewolves are about uncontrollable urges, um, which could include sexual urges or suppressed and eruptive anger. We actually did a full episode on werewolves where I talked about the different kinds of werewolves in film and their allegories, which I highly recommend if you haven't heard it. Billy Roach was our guest that week, and he is so wonderful. He really is the best. Werewolf movies are also scary for the others as well. Like, do you really know this person? How well do you know them? Right. Which is a very real thing in a monster movie called The Thing. Mm, Yes. Where it's like you have no idea who you can trust. The only person you can trust is yourself. But then again, can you? Because of the monster inside. You don't know if you can actually trust yourself. And that's actually a movie that what we were talking about earlier when we're like, yeah, don't show too much of the monster. You have to keep some mystery. But in The Thing, they were like, we're going to show you the monster every second every single frame yeah (laughs) but it still worked (laughs) so i guess there's exceptions to every rule i think it worked because the monster changed yeah so that's true it always looked different it was always it was it got more and more horrifying as time went on it was like right disgusting and i think that you know that's why something like the mist worked too because there's so many different kinds of monsters it was like a tentacle thing and some like hornets and spiders you never knew what was coming yeah so i think with that it's sort of like yeah show us all you've got right if it's gonna be changing and it's still gonna keep us on our toes then 100 percent bring it out yeah and sometimes the monster isn't necessarily inside of you but something that you've created which we see in the Babadook. And mm-hmm. I don't want to give too many spoilers because it's just, it's a perfect movie. And if you haven't seen it, please see it. And then it. also shut your ears for like 30 seconds. So the Babadook, <laughs> you know, coming to terms with your own pain and trauma and realizing that you have to deal with it in order to move on. You have to nurture it in order for it to stop hurting and if you just shove it in a box in the basement it's going to grow and grow and grow and eventually be released and you're not going to be able to control it i remember that movie ending and being like wow there was so much more of a message here where it was like the whole movie you're just like what is this entity attacking like what is this horrible thing and then it's like oh this is something that you created because of what you are going through and you just let it fester and build up and build up and i was like damn yes they they hit me right in the heart. It That's was a, so good. It's a really it really is a perfect movie. It's so good. It's also terrifying. The Babadook is so scary. Like Ooh, I know it's so freaking scary that they are an LGBTQA icon now, but like Yes. They weren't That's always still my favorite thing I know. being put in the <laughs> gay movie category on Netflix. It was so great. I know. What's going on? I love that and I also love Netflix would always put all good things in the romance category. Yeah, And I was like, this is a movie about Robert Durst killing his wife. But like, sure, (laughs) I guess it's romantic sometimes. Let's get sexy. (laughs) I am Baba Shook. That was like my favorite quote that came out of it. (laughs) What is your favorite monster movie? Um... I really enjoy Hellboy, and that is all thanks to you, because you introduced me. And then, does this count as a monster movie? I really love Jeepers Creepers. Is he, he's a monster, right? Yeah, that's actually, um, 
Yes, he is. That was my special mention because it's probably honestly my favorite, but it's so tainted because the director's a fucking pedophile. I but know. Yes, Jeepers Me Creepers. and Ashley's heart broke at the same time. I feel like we were together God. when that article got released about him and we were like, wait, should we never watch this movie again? Jeepers Creepers 1 and 2 are both so good. So good. The world building is amazing. The creature design and the the creature's like history is so original. It's so well mm-hmm. thought out. But yep. that fucking guy, I know it's hard. I hate that he's associated with it. It's a tough one. You're right, and I shouldn't have just spouted that out because I I had completely forgotten about that creep. But no, it was on my list too. With a caveat, yeah. so it's got like a, it's got a, an asterisk. It's like a, <laughs> has a little asterisk. It's like a baseball player that used steroids. It's like, yes, did I he know. hit the most home runs? Yes, but right. also asterisk. He was my hero, but he cheated. He also cheated. <laughs> what about you? Well, I was trying to stay away from sci-fi horror because that's sort of a different genre, and also, sure, it was cheating, so I didn't have to choose between like a xenomorph or the thing from another world. But I would have to say Tremors is my favorite oh, Tremors. monster that movie. It brings me a lot of joy. That movie scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. I did not get that there was humor. It did not seem funny to me at any moment. Some parts still scare me, like when they pull the station wagon underground. Nope. Oh, gosh. Nope. Not about it. Scared the shit out of me. Yeah, that is scary. Now I'm like, Reba. And also Kevin Bacon's really cute and he has tight pants. He's so stinking cute in that movie. Love it. <laughs> this is Mike. This is Jacob. And this is Matt. We are Moth Boys, a podcast on cryptids, conspiracies, and the unknown. Unknown. You can catch us every other Monday on actually wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you. Anyways, let's move on. What are you covering today? I know, but you guys don't. I'm going to talk about some demons. Demons Demons and possession movies. Yes. That almost sounded like I was working on the railroad. I'm talking about some demons all the live long day. I've been talking about some demons just to pass the time away. Clap, clap, clap. Demon movies, y'all, and possession in general. These are, for the most part, such fun movies. I mean, depending on the movie. That's a broad (laughs) statement. But there are so many good ones, you guys. I'm going to talk about some of the more obvious ones, but um, actually, I am mostly talking about like the obvious ones, but we might be talking about it in a way you haven't heard. We'll see. Okay. Demonic movies. Guys, they excite us, they baffle us, they scare the shit out of us. And it's because it is something just so unfamiliar to be possessed by a demon or some otherworldly entity, to have something else enter our system and change who we are. That is absolutely terrifying. And you actually kind of mentioned it when you were talking about zombies, Ashley, where it's just like... To be a normal person one day and then to completely lose control of yourself and become something else, like, that's horrible. Especially if you're under the belief, I guess, like, we don't exactly know what being possessed is like because it hasn't happened to us and we only, you know, can read in books and see in movies what it might be like. But if there's a part of you that is still existing while this demonic force or whatever force it is, is taking over your body. It's like if you just have to kind of sit there dormant and watch everything happen and watch your body 
you know, become in pain and be ripped to shreds and, you know, you're just becoming sicker and sicker and you have to sit back and watch it. Oh, it just, it gets me. It makes my heart. I think throughout actual history, like not horror movie history, actual history, most if not all possessions have been actual human conditions, whether it's epilepsy and seizures or or Alzheimer's. Like back in the day, you don't fucking know what that is. You just That's know that true. this is not the Alzheimer's same person. That yeah. was here before. So right. to them, they're, that is a possessed person. So even now that we can look back and say like, no, they were sick with this thing. You could still watch a possession movie, not be religious in any way and not believe in demons or the devil and watch mm -hmm. that and understand the fear of not controlling yourself. Yeah. Just to have no control. These movies especially have scared people in the religious communities. I'm just going to say it. There's going to be a lot of religion chat, folks, because it's demons. So buckle in. It's just so hard to grasp what happens when the devil is able to find its way inside or when some sort of evil demon that maybe works for the devil finds its way inside of us. That's sort of what most movies have presented to us. I do like the image of a demon punching the clock. <laughs> An employee of Satan. Yeah, when you're like, like oh. maybe he just works for the, maybe it's just, you know, maybe that's just his boss. He comes in with his Starbucks and he's like, all right, <laughs> I'm like, here. I'm, I'm ready. Clocking in. A 12-year-old boy again? <laughs> all right. Oh, gosh. It's getting old. Can't you give me somebody new? <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is hilarious. I love that. But yeah, mankind has basically feared demonic possession forever. This is, it's not something that is going away. Like, we're always going to have this. Demonic possessions were actually rarely seen on screen because there were such strict rules given to filmmakers from the early 30s to about the late 60s. It was just like content had to be decent. You could put out horror movies, but there had to be strict guidelines on it. And the kind of content that possession was bringing was just not seen as decent enough to put on the screen. So for a long time, we weren't actually seeing people possessed. Like, you could allude to there being a possession happening or to demons being present, but you would never actually see a person possessed. But then we get to The Exorcist in 1973, which, similar to you, Ashley, I'm not necessarily going in chronological order with these demon movies. I'm kind of grouping them together because I just wanted to be like you, basically. But Yeah, no. for sure. It just no, happened on accident. This is just accident. an accident that we always do. <laughs> I just wanted to be exactly like Ashley. But no, it just sort of happened that I wanted to group together these demon movies because it just made more sense. Okay, Exorcist, 1973. You all have heard of the movie. We all know it well. We saw an actual possession happen in this movie, and it scared the life out of everybody <laughs> and really changed the way that we, I mean, made possession movies and even viewed horror as a whole. Like, take out the demon genre, like... This just changed horror movies. This was something that, you know, we hadn't really seen before. And it was very exciting. And it was terrifying. And it brought this perfectly innocent little girl. You know, we see her in the beginning of the movie. And she's just doing normal little kid things. And kind of just appears as the sweetest little girl you've ever seen. And then we watch her turn into a monster when she's possessed. And it just sort of shocked the system that she went from the girl we saw in the beginning to who she is by the middle to end. And we, at the same time, 
we're dealing kind of with the fallout from Vietnam. We were towards the end of the Vietnam War and also the hippie movement coming in the upswing. So we were in this weird state in our country where we're moving out of a very conservative, strict stage into a let's push the boundary stage. And a lot of parents during this time were actually feeling like they were losing their children and there was so much generational conflict going on. Like the way the mom feels in The Exorcist was pretty representative of how a lot of parents were feeling, that they were losing their children and that they were powerless to stop the new movements and the boundary pushing that was coming out. They didn't know how to stop the young people from changing and pushing back. And a lot of parents believed that religion was the only way to fight back on anything and that God could solve any problem if you just prayed and read your Bible that it would turn things around. So that was very represented in this movie of kind of like the back and forth. It represented the time that we were in as a country 100%. And it also made a lot of people believe in the devil. People who didn't even necessarily believe in God started to believe that maybe there was, you know, this higher power if, you know, these horrible things can happen in this movie. Maybe God and the devil are something I need to think about. People started to wear rosaries. People were keeping crosses by their bed. There was a huge surge of people returning to the church. The Catholic Church got bombarded with people after this movie came out. And it instilled this new fear of this new wave of people saying, we all have to cling to God. It's the only way because this movie showed us what happens if you sway in the other direction. So it definitely made a surge of you know, people turning to the religious community. And even like I saw an interview, I think it was on Eli Roth's documentary, History of Horror. There was a girl who was like, I was Jewish and I still clung to a rosary. Like I didn't know (laughs) what to do. (laughs) I was dying. I was like that. It That perfectly describes how people reacted. Like this also just popped into my head from last episode. So this was advertised as based on a true story. Mm-hmm. So this is before Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I think by like a year or two. Yeah, just by a year. So just kidding. So there we go. This we might have been the first one. Question. Maybe. <laughs> Haven't Googled it yet, but maybe this I one know. is the one. <laughs> We're going to have some updates, guys. Um, that is true. This came out the year before. So, But yeah, there were a lot of people who had hate for this movie, obviously, because it was just like, this was nothing like we had ever seen. It felt like we had to wage this war on the devil like people just didn't know what to make of this especially in the religious communities but the horror critics and people who love the adrenaline rush and love this kind of thing they were all about it so to say that this movie was just completely hated and shot down is not true and it's still to this day one of the most loved horror movies of all time because it was just It was so unique for its time and really pushed the boundaries on everything and wasn't afraid to get gory, wasn't afraid to say insanely sexual things, wasn't afraid of really anything. It really wasn't. It's it's still to this day something I've never seen anyone else do. Yeah, agreed. You know, because there have been horror movies where children have been possessed or even adults have been possessed and they say things like, I don't know, like, go to hell or, like, whatever. In this movie, she's literally saying, let Jesus fuck me while she masturbates with a cross. I know. The masturbation with the cross is something that always sticks with me. Like, I have never seen anyone do that. And then she shoves her mom's face into her bloody vagina. Into her crotch. So it's stuff like that where it's like, 
I have never seen that before in any, no movie has ever taken it there before. So especially today, I know a lot of people are like, I saw The Exorcist, it wasn't that scary. And I'm like, well, then you fucking didn't have your eyes open or maybe you weren't listening because holy shit. Yeah. It's scary. Like it was so scary. It really wasn't scared to cross the line. And then I kind of also put in this category a way later movie and one that I think is so underrated. I love this movie. The Exorcism of Emily Rose is another movie that has very heavy religious themes. And similar to The Exorcist, a lot of it is like a horror drama. Like, yes, The Exorcist is a horror movie, but a lot of it is a drama too. And, you know, a lot of it is psychological and upsetting in other ways, you know, like it's still a mother and a daughter you know, dealing with their issues. So there's a lot to unpack there. And I think Exorcism of Emily Rose does that too. Yeah. The Exorcist, the crux of that movie is not about a little girl becoming possessed. Like, that's horrific. What's happening to her and her mother in itself is terrifying. The movie The Exorcist is about Father Karras, a priest who is losing his faith and is put in this extraordinary circumstance where he's forced to regain it. It's beautiful. It's It's a drama that happens to be so scary and the same thing with exorcism of emily rose it's like yes it's about this possession but really it's about the court case and all of the the things that followed and also the priest yeah and also the priest and like is something like this possible and can we say that it's not right i i love exorcism of emily rose for several reasons but what i really enjoy is it's not just about the jump scares and the frights there are some really good creepy af parts But this movie was fascinating because it also involved the court system, like we just mentioned. And the court is a place that usually holds very ethical trials. There are guidelines. There are so many rules in place. And you're not supposed to bring religious beliefs into it, plain and simple. But this particular trial taking place during the movie is all about whether you're a believer or a non-believer. Like, simple as that. That's what it comes down to, the whole movie. You know, you're questioning, are demons real? Did the main character, Emily Rose, really get possessed? Or did she experience a psychotic episode and die due to the medications administered by the priest helping her? You know, this guy is on trial for murder. He could be charged with murder if the jury decides to take the side of science over demonic possession. Because they have experts coming in saying what could have happened, you know, scientifically, medically, giving all of this evidence But then you have the other story of, you know, the demon taking over and how none of it made sense unless you go down this road of like how she slowly was getting taken over and how it all kind of adds up to what we know to be possession. So I think this movie had people questioning how they would react in this situation. It made people say, what would I do if I was on that jury? How would I vote? What would I believe? I just thought it was so cool and game-changing in the way that it came forward with it because it wasn't just being a typical exorcism movie where we're just gonna scare the pants off of you and show some body contorting like it did that and it had scary scenes but it man it had this whole other dramatic side to it that i really loved and based on a true story yes and actually based on a true story And also when this movie came out in 2005, there had been this two-month-long masterclass on Satanism and exorcisms at this church in Rome. Oh, okay. So it was just kind of funny when this came out, like, Satanism and exorcism was, like, the chat of everywhere because of this. So these themes being were being discussed regularly, and then this movie came out, and there was, like, a ton of additional 
controversy about it. So it really was just released at the right time because everybody wanted to chat about possession. I also really enjoy, but this one is controversial as well with some people, The Conjuring. And I also wanted to bring it up because Ashley and I saw The Conjuring 2 together and thought we were going to be murdered the entire time we were (laughs) in the theater. So that is always a fun memory. That was so fucking scary. That we have. It was so scary. And the movie was so scary. So we were just like, hello. Like, it was a lot. It was a big day. I think the listeners probably remember, but basically we went to see Conjuring 2 and it was like. Yeah, it was when your butthole. (laughs) Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, my butthole was opening and closing a lot. Well, (laughs) I was so scared. But I think it was me, you, and Joe, right? The three of us. No, it was just It was just us? Okay, so it was just me and Lauren. And the movie had been out for a while, so there wasn't that many people in theaters. But what there was was a gentleman in the back row who I don't know what to say about this man. I don't know if he was Yeah, we didn't um, know his situation. No, I didn't know if he was like mentally Yeah, he was like grunting and like like he was making these noises and it was one of those things where it's like I don't want to be rude and like turn around and look at him in case he has like a condition. But every time it would happen we would look at each other like, are we gonna fucking die here? Yeah. Is is this this where we die? Because it was literally us, him, like two rows behind us, and then like maybe a couple, like <laughs> a few rows in front of us. Like this is a basically empty theater. And I was like, we're the closest All to right, him. He's going it, to I kill guess. us. <laughs> this is the end. I guess we're we're going out swinging, seeing The Conjuring 2. My goodness. So I lumped this one in with the other two because it, it does rely on a lot of religious themes as well. Follows demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren, who we love going on a possession case in Rhode Island. And the movie had its main characters using powers of the Bible and using crosses to help keep the demon away. And it seems like, you know, another case, as we've seen in other movies, of God's holiness winning over the demon. But it I didn't even know this till I was reading about it today. It has been criticized by some non-believers as being a little too far right-leaning and a little too Christian due to some of the heavy themes on keeping a happy marriage and that being the way to conquer all, which like the characters of Ed and Lorraine say a lot in both the first one and the sequel. And they thought that it made women appear a little too fragile or like women are made to be the enemy with, you know, the demon being a female in the first one and like being this witch character. So it thought it was kind of attacking women, which I thought was a bit of a stretch, but I found two articles that both kind of stated that. So I thought it was still worth saying that they're, is a group of people out there who think The Conjuring is like this far right leaning movie that I have never thought. I have thought that while watching The Conjuring movies too, but that's just who Ed and Lorraine Warren were. Right. I feel like they it's were trying to very be historically religious. accurate of who mm-hmm. they were. Right. So it that's why it doesn't stretch to me. Yeah. And I think it's sort of hard for people to watch. Like if it's a priest, if they've got the collar and the rosary, it's a priest coming in. I think it's more acceptable because it's like, of course, he believes in God. But if it's just, like, these two people who, like, historically were extremely Catholic, extremely religious, 100% believed in God, every place they went to help someone out with a haunting, they would preach to them. They would, like, try and convert them. So if you are a person who is not Christian, Catholic, or wants to be converted, it's going to rub you the wrong way. Yeah. Doesn't make you feel too happy. I get it. And like sometimes when I watch those movies or when I read anything by Ed and Lorraine Warren, I will roll my eyes because I have issues of with course. faith. Yeah. But I don't, I don't know if I would go as far as to say they were like, you know, 
Right. I don't know if there was any comment. I'll have to watch it again because I did. I didn't catch. I that, know. Now I'm like, I maybe, need to see it yeah. again. <laughs> maybe I just didn't pick up on it. I wanted to include that commentary because I just I was the same as you where I was so like, no, that what? feels like it's attacking it a bit too much. But I mean, I think it was worth bringing up because like, yeah, sometimes we don't see it. all sides of. <laughs> yeah, we don't see all sides of how people are affected by a movie and it was like i just saw the conjuring and was like oh this is horrifying and wonderful and i'm gonna watch it a second time and then there's other people who are like oh this was too much and how can you go so far to the right and i was like oh well shit i need to give this another pass yeah i mean you know you no one very rarely do people watch hostile and be like this is a 9-11 movie yeah totally you don't always see those (laughs) themes right away you have to dig a little deeper and that's just how it goes. So those are pretty heavily religious-themed exorcism movies, but still very good. I mean, you have to just... Religion is part of it. It's a demon, y'all, but they're really good movies. Yeah, you can't really have a demonic possession movie and not bring up... Not have a little God, God or the Bible in there. You know? Because exactly. then it's something else entirely. Then it's just right. not a demon. It's not a demon anymore. Like, then what are we talking about? Then I wanted to talk about children, and I loosely say this because one of them involves pregnancy. What movie could I possibly be talking Ralph about with baby. pregnancy? <laughs> Ralph Mary's Baby. And again, we're not going chronological. This was before The Exorcist in 1968. Roman Polanski was not the best man in his personal life. Like, we have some issues with the guy, but... He made some good movies, and he was so great at giving the woman's point of view in his movies, and he does such a good job of that in Rosemary's Baby. And Rosemary's Baby is so creepy on several levels, but another thing I really love about it is how we don't fully know what's going on in this movie until the end. We don't even really see anything supernatural besides the dream sequence, which we are sort of just left to believe that it's a dream for a long time. We go through the movie having this feeling of uneasiness and dread the entire movie because there is such a good build and it's all surrounding us kind of following this young, vulnerable female who has everyone in her life slowly turning against her. And we're feeling all of her pain and anxiety, all of the anguish as if we're, you know, with her because of the way the movie is shot. And a lot of times they do POVs like as if we're in her eyes. And so we're really getting to see everything that she's experiencing and we are following her storyline so closely. While simultaneously questioning, oh, wait, is it real? Am I imagining it too? Right. <laughs> like as is you're watching it, you're like, wait a minute. Maybe yeah. it's not is real. She I don't know. Maybe she's crazy. It? Right. Totally. And one of the most terrifying parts to me is actually when the doctor turns against her because especially like, I mean, I know it's uneasy for anyone, but like even after, you know, being pregnant and having a child, you put all of your trust in your doctor. Mm -hmm. Like you feel crazy the entire time. You're creating life in your body. Like everything is thrown off hormones, your mind, all of it. But nothing is scarier than having that trusted person with access to your body turn to the dark side as well when you're like, you might be the last person that I can trust. Like I'm losing everybody. And then he's on the bad side too. Like that, that just really made me lose it. That made me feel so upset at that part. And again, it's why I think this movie is so good is because we didn't need jump scares and, you know, this constant like, in your face, there's a monster, there's a demon. Like, it was such a good 
slow build. And I think this movie speaks a lot to the patriarchal control that women fear and that a lot of women genuinely feel. Like, not only is it a fear for some people, but women experience it. And also just the fear of losing control of your own body. Like, pregnancy puts you in a weird mental state anyway, but then on top of it to have you know, all of these people trying to take control of the baby that's building in you and trying to tell you all of the best things to do. Like you're constantly feeling at the mercy of all of these other people. Some of them basically strangers. They're just neighbors coming over. So to be like, to lose you that have to breastfeed. Control. And if you don't, then right. your baby's going to grow horns. Yeah. I mean, when you're pregnant, your body, it's kind of a form of possession. Your body's not really your own. It's just like a vessel yeah. for carrying this other body this alien creature who is yeah. sucking all of your energy you lose yourself a little bit yeah and also like you were saying the patriarchal fear i mean in our country there are still places where you need to get permission from your husband to have a hysterectomy or yeah. to have your tubes tied and it's like yep. No. And the same Excuse goes the other me? way though too cuz like in most of those places not all Actually, I don't even know if most is true. In some of those places, the men also need to get, you know, consent from their wife to get a vasectomy. Right. But yeah. it's like, isn't it my body? <laughs> yeah, it's like, but it's my body. Like, I don't understand right. why I have to get permission from anyone to do something with totally. my body if yeah. I'm over 18. Exactly. I should be able to make this decision. It just seems like everyone is making her decisions and trying to control her as she's just feeling worse and worse this whole movie. So that was definitely a big theme. And then some other critics pointed out this scary theme of the not really knowing your neighbors. And especially in urban living when you're, you know, in an apartment, which you and I know very well, and we're mm -hmm. all crammed into these apartments and everybody's side by side and there's a million buildings all next to each other. Like, you don't get a lot of privacy. You have to deal with these people and try to be polite and try to be as kind as you can. But a lot of the times it's like, I don't want to have to talk to you. I don't necessarily get along with you. And it feels like you just want to be nosy and in my business. The amount of times that I have literally not checked the mail one day because I was too afraid to someone. run into anyone yep. that I live near. Same. Yeah, we ha we don't know a ton of our neighbors in our newer apartment because we've basically lived here like all of COVID and we're never going out and neither is anybody else but in our old apartment i 100 percent had neighbors that i would purposely avoid and like if i heard their door open it was like oh shoot i need to leave as well but i'm gonna have to wait five minutes yeah because <laughs> i'm not about to go talk we to live them. in a uh, an apartment complex it's only seven units so we know every single person lives here they know us so the chance of me yeah. running into one of them is high yep and I don't it's want to true. ever, even in the time of COVID it. where it's like, don't you want human interaction? It's like, no, I want human. I want to see my mom. Yeah. I do not want to I'd see like my to neighbor. I'd like to see my family, but not the neighbors. <laughs> exactly. So I kind of loved like that, that theme being pointed out because I was like, oh yeah, 100%. And on top of it, she has satanic neighbors who are in a cult. So, you know, she really didn't look out with her neighbors. It's just, it's not great. Agents of the devil. It's kind of a worst case scenario. It's like noisy neighbors is number one and <laughs> demon worshippers is number two for me. Actually, I'm the same. I would still put the stomping yep. neighbors mm -hmm. above 
the Satan worshippers, 100%, especially because I experience it daily. Yeah, I would replace both of my noisy neighbors with demon worshippers, so. (laughs) Going along with the child theme, what happens after the child is born? The Omen, 1976. Different from Rosemary's Baby, dealing with a a son of Satan in your belly, this is what happens after the seemingly innocent child is born and ends up being the son of the devil. And this movie really played into fear that almost all parents have, which is, you know, no matter what I do, no matter how much I love them and take care of them, what if my child ends up evil? And especially in the process of adoption, which is what we see in the movie, you lose even more control of who the child could be. Like... I mean, nowadays, I feel like there's a lot of vetting and, you know, background checks. But even so, it's still coming from someone else and you feel even more out of control with this child. And it's like, who are they going to be? No matter what I teach them and show them, there could still be something genetic in them or just, you know, something they inherited that we couldn't do anything about that comes out and makes them a bad person. What if they're going to be a serial killer? What if they're, you know, you could, the list goes on and on of the things they could end up doing. You want the best for your child. I do have a question. So in the, in the original, the omen, the wife definitely does not know that it's not her child. Does the husband, I don't remember if he was told the baby died or. I feel like he did. I can't remember. I know. The wife definitely doesn't know, but I want to say somebody close to them knew. I think that what happened was, is that the baby, they said the baby died, and then they said another woman gave birth, and she's dead, or whatever, and like, we can just give you that baby, and your wife never has to know. But I remember the reveal of like finding the like bones of the baby later in the movie and like is it just the wife alone who finds the bones? No, That's what I'm the, trying to like. Um, it's the husband and because he wants proof. Basically, right. they go looking for the bones because he wants proof that his baby he wants was to killed. Absolutely know. Because yeah. they find the baby's bones and there's a big hole in the baby's so skull. So I do feel like he knows or he finds out yeah, pretty early remember. on and then like goes on this like investigative I'm pretty sure like, that he stretch. he knows but obviously doesn't think anything about it until Yeah, cuz he's like, well, who cares? We have a child. And like, yeah. Mm. And then And she's like, you why know, is and- this happening? And he's like, I don't know. Why did my child just knock me off of our railing in our house and I landed on glass? Oh my gosh. Also, do you remember that scene in the original where she gets like knocked off that balcony and falls in the slowest (laughs) way possible? Yeah, it's pretty slow. it's, (laughs) It's a very slow fall. And I mean, you can't fault anyone. It was like the effects just didn't exist. Yeah, but they did because the beheading in that movie is one of the craziest fucking things I've ever oh, seen in my entire life. Oh, when the glass like goes through yeah. that guy's neck. I Woo! truly, to this day, am like, they just killed that guy because there's no possible way. There's no effect that exists. They can fake this. No, that this. scene messed me up. Yeah. Like that decapitation was rough. And that's the main theme that I wanted to talk about is like, like obviously that is Worst case scenario that your child turns out to be son of the devil and he's pure evil. And then the last one I wanted to talk about is a comedy demonic possession. A comedy, but also like it gets spooky and it has its gross moments. But Jennifer's body. Uh, I know. I love that movie. It's just so good. 
It came out in 2009, a horror comedy about demonic possession that was just so incredibly smart. But it just came out, I think, a few years too early because it was not appreciated right away. It took a couple of years, which a lot of great movies do. It is now a cult classic. It is loved by so many. And it just took a few years, I think, for people to catch up with how clever it actually was and how, like I said, how smart it was. I don't think the trailer did it many favors. It didn't. It wasn't sold correctly. Like, they just, they didn't know how to market it. And also, we didn't know at the time. Now we know. Megan Fox is a very funny actress, and she's very good. But at the time, we knew Transformers. Right. Uh, It's like, oh, the hot girl from Transformers. Who she's not good in Transformers, because who is? Shia LaBeouf (laughs) is barely good in Transformers, and he's like the best actor of our generation. So. And he's the best one in that movie, yeah. which isn't saying much. So when you're like, oh, this movie is uh, led by Meg Fox, it's like, mm, okay, well, yeah, maybe I'll catch it on DVD, which I did. Right. I refused yeah, to see I it because I was like, there's no it was on fucking DVD. way. And I saw it and I was like, this is one of my favorite movies I've ever seen in my entire life. It's so, so good. Again, I, d- I don't know if it was the timing or how they marketed it or like all. It was a beautiful, perfect storm Both. of why it yeah. just didn't work out. Yeah, but now it is so appreciated and thank goodness because it is so good. And it has an amazing commentary on, I mean, teenage girls in general and just how difficult it is and agonizing it can be to go through puberty, have fluctuating hormones and worry about growing into your body, all while being objectified as a young girl by idiot, also hormonal males. So just kind of going through and, you know, worrying about being the best looking and like, You want to be good looking, but at the same time, you don't want to attract the wrong attention. And it's like, how do you balance that? And also, high school sucks. And you're going through all of that. So it was a total commentary on that. And also showing that a lot of people get too distracted by beauty and don't look any deeper. Because even before Megan Fox's character gets possessed, it shows her at the beginning, you know, being the hot girl in school. And everybody just looks at her as a sex symbol. But she's actually very smart and witty. And we see that side of her when she's with her bestie, Needy. Yeah, her name's Needy, played by Amanda Seyfried. We see their friendship together. And it's like, oh, she actually has a personality and has a brain. But everybody else is just using her for her looks, which is, you know, a very common theme in life and being a woman. So... I loved all of that and just talking about the objectification of women as a whole. And then also all of the themes on friendship in general, because as the movie goes on, we see how actually codependent and toxic the friendship is between Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried. And not just because, you know, she's a murdering demon possessed woman, but you're, you know, you're seeing what was wrong in the beginning of the movie really coming out in the end and how like they feel like they need each other in so many aspects, but they only need each other for a lot of wrong reasons. And it's not necessarily actually a good foundation of friendship, but something just a little more toxic, which I absolutely could relate to. It can happen as an adult, of course, but I remember having friendships like that in junior high and high school. It's not even, it is toxic. Yes. But not toxic in the way that like adult relationships are because everyone goes through that. Everyone goes through the time in their life where they have best friends and then Mm -hmm. they get a boyfriend 
Yep. And maybe your best friend doesn't have a boyfriend or maybe you don't have a boyfriend and your best friend does have a boyfriend. Or you have a, a rift. Yeah, or you have a best friend and you're in your in 8th grade and then you move on to high school. And now yep. and there's the competing changes. things. Yeah, there's a time yeah. thing where it's like I have less time. There's new people, there's new activities, and like that can get very volatile. Right. That's exactly right. And that's like without there being a mean girl part of it. Totally. It's just like a normal lady that's relationship. That's just how friendship works. Yeah. yeah. That just happens with females and then like especially in high school when just everything is so heated. And so this movie has a big commentary on that as well, but obviously it's heavily exaggerated with the possession and what Jennifer turns into. But it's funny because you find yourself rooting for the Jennifer character in the movie, even though she becomes this murderous creature, because the males in the movie are so awful that a lot of the time when she's, you know, luring them in, you're like, yes, get him, girl, which I think is so fun. And I feel like Diablo Cody does like such a good job with that. But it also like speaking of her luring them in, there's also a commentary on female sexuality and how, you know, it can be so taboo or strange, especially when it's young women in high school and maybe they shouldn't be enjoying sex this young. But in this movie, it's a lot of empowerment of I do want to experience this, so I'm going to and I do want to take charge in this situation and I'm going to be this sexual being and there's nothing you can do about it. I might even rip your body to shreds with my sharp teeth. So there's a lot of that. Uh, sexual talk as well, which I think is pretty awesome. It's basically just a a good girl power movie with a hilarious twist, and you should all see it if you haven't. It's like if Mean Girls was horror. Yes, it's the same humor. It's a good it's that way to same describe it. Sort of witty one-liner humor that Mean Girls had, only yeah. demons and blood and murder. Yeah, a little levitation, and (laughs) I remember her levitating out of the pool. There's some fun things. Obviously, we could go on forever about demon movies because there are so, so many, but I'm going to wrap it up there. I thought I would just do, you know, a couple of categories, but gosh, they're good, and there's lots of different ways to do them. What's your favorite? Is it Jennifer's Bod? (laughs) I mean, I do love it. I don't think it is my favorite. I really enjoy it. I really like The Conjuring 2. I know that is so random. It's not even the first one, but I loved the sequel so, so much. A little bit more than the first. I think I just liked the story a little bit better. And I, the one that I said I was embarrassed about, I have a really soft spot for this found footage movie, hello, called The Last Exorcism. I thought it was so good. I don't uh, know if you saw it. Yeah, that movie's fucking awesome. Why would you be embarrassed by that? Oh, you like it? There's so yeah. many people on the internet who are like, this movie sucks and it's trying too hard. I thought it was what? so good and it gave me nightmares for weeks. Yeah, no, I thought that was I great. That and the cool part about that movie, for anyone who hasn't seen it, you should absolutely watch it, is, again, it's the commentary. It's the same thing. It's a, a priest who's lost his faith. Or did he ever yep. have any to begin with? We don't know. Like, he's struggling mm-hmm. with that. And he's basically trying to... He's doing this documentary, which is a great setup for a found footage movie. It's a documentary. Great. Now we don't have to question why you always have a camera. He's doing right. this documentary trying to disprove demonic possession. He says, yep. this is how it always goes. This is what they yep. say. This is what they're, you know, and I go in and yeah. I pretend to exercise a demon and they pay me and they're fine and forever. They, say they feel better. Yeah. Yep. And of course, um, that's not what happens because that would be a really it goes boring movie. Awry. <laughs> no, that movie is awesome. 
It's so good. My favorite is The Exorcist. I don't. The Exorcist is my favorite movie of all time. So ah, that's kind okay. of hard. So to... again, like stepping out of horror, you just love that movie. Yeah, it's just my favorite movie. And The Exorcist Three. And The Exorcist Three. <laughs> but I did have a special mention, which is probably my second favorite movie of all time, and that's Tales from the Crypt Presents Demon Knight. Oh my Which I gosh. know that I've made you watch probably I've, several I've times. I've watched it with you and then I've watched it by myself because I enjoyed it so much. And it's the night that our friend said the line we always quote, yes, the demons, yes. The yes. Demons. yes. Yep. Oh gosh, yeah. That is so, so good. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, you're welcome. That's a good movie. Demon night, y'all. Before we go, I also, I had this written down in the monster section, and I forgot a movie I need to recommend, monster movie, a found footage movie as well, and its premise and the cover photo might have stopped you from watching it. It's called okay. Troll Hunter, and yep. it's a Norwegian found footage movie about trolls, but it's taken so seriously and the performances are so great and some of it is brutal. It's 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 so good. You're not the first person to tell me to see that and yeah. that like the title is what steers people away, but you have to watch it. So now that you're the second person to say it, I guess. Yeah, the picture on streaming services, which is I assume is the cover of the, you know, disc if the DVD if you were to buy it, it looks horrible. It looks like a um it looks like one of those like really cheap monster movies that you would get like Sharknado or like <laughs> yeah 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 eight-legged freaks or like something right. like that but it's actually <laughs> but it's so good <gasps> terrifying ooh that's another nature monster movie arachnophobia ooh i love arachnophobia i just got it on i mean DVD. i I love hate it because it really oh, freaks me out, but I do like it a lot. That's all the time we have this week for Keep It Weird. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Make sure you are following us on social media, especially for October, because we're going to be having our pumpkin carving and decorating contests, and we'll be posting some spooky stuff to make your stay-at-home Halloween feel a little more Halloween-y. We are at Keep It Weird Cast on all platforms. Check out our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Podcast. And you already know what that entails because I say it all the time, but you may not also know that if you are a $5 or $10 patron of the show, you get discounts on our merch, which you can also Woo-hoo! find at www.etsy.com slash shop slash keep it weird podcast and of which we are getting more of because we just ordered some samples and we love everything that we my got. gosh obsessed with the samples guys you're gonna love it so keep your eye out for new stuff in the shop um our sign off today is to take care of yourself and take care of each other to stay spooky <laughs> yeah it's october we have to add stay extra spooky remember the halloween is in your heart it's not in the Halloween party and activities that you are missing this year. It's okay. Halloween can never be canceled. Halloween can never in die, your heart, guys. It will never die. It will still be celebrated we'll in forever. your soul. <laughs> and keep um, and it weird. And also keep it weird.